for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Aaron Carpenter, founder and CEO of Nude Bar, which offers hosiery and underwear in 12 complexion perfect shades. I wanted to ask Carpenter about the white space she's filling in the market and about the state of colorism in the fashion industry today. Welcome, Erin. Thanks for having me. How are you? I have to say, I we, we just briefly touched on this. I love that you have this dancer background. I feel like I'm a dancer at heart, but never went there. <laughs> but tell me about what you were doing. What led you down this road to launching the brand? Yeah, so I used to be a professional dancer and a commercial actress. So a lot of those commercials you would see people in in like the earlier 2000s where they'd be, you know, dancing kind of in the background. I did a ton of those. And, you know, one of the requirements in my industry, whether it was dance behind, you know, on camera, on stage, was to have nude underwear, tights, panties, bras, and even sometimes shoes to match your skin tone. But I'm sure you've seen this in the market where you go to stores, you ask for something in nude. It could be a shoe. It could be, a, you know, underwear, whatever. And usually they bring you options that are beige. Uh, I'm not beige. And so what I would have to do... And many other artists would have to do is dye their tights, dye their undergarments to match their skin on a weekly basis to be in uniform. Or for your dance shoes, you would either spray paint them or you pat makeup foundation on them. And in the industry, we call this pancaking. There's terminology around it because it's so normalized that you put makeup foundation on it to match your skin so that you have this smooth line from toe to arm or whatever. Um, And so I just thought, gosh, there has to be a better way. And why won't a lot of these bigger manufacturers or brands just make more options for people? So that's why I started Nude Bar. I mean, it it is surprising when you started the brand 2009 that there was not anything like this. First of all, I want to say it's also surprising that you were able to find color matching and makeup. Like we're talking about that right now in 2021. And it's just like, why is this happening now? But anyway, um, you were seeing nothing. It was all DIY. Was this a conversation among the dancers? Like, WTF. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it was always a behind the scenes conversation and frustration. Uh, Everyone would be complaining about it and not just dancers of color, but even some of the white dancers that I'd worked with where the nude on the market didn't really match them either. It was kind of this strange shade of beige. Uh, And so, yeah, everyone was complaining about it on every job, even wardrobe stylists and wardrobe departments were complaining about it because they'd constantly have to figure out how to DIY all of these outfits. Okay, maybe we can, you know, safety pin the bra strap here so it doesn't show, or maybe we can do this. Or sometimes the wardrobe stylist would die for you if they had time for that. So everyone was frustrated by it. Such a solution for stylists. I was creeping on the brand's Instagram and I saw that La Roach follows you guys. <laughs> and I'm like, he probably shops your brand constantly. Um, but tell me, who who is your who are you finding is your shopper? Is it somebody who's, you know, darker complected and hasn't had this at their access? Or or are, you know, is your customer shopping the the spectrum of available shades pretty equally? 
Yeah. So our customer is, you know, all the different hues, all the different shades. So we have fairer, medium and deeper or darker skin tones. Uh, majority of our sales do come from the medium to darker skin tone ranges because that's the huge pain point that uh, we see in the market where they're, you know, completely overlooked. There's nothing on the market for them. Um, but however, you know, we still find that we do get the fair skin women or the lighter skin women that are buying our products as well. And, you know, even from if you think of women of color come in so many different shades. Uh, so even if you're a black woman and you're albino, you might be our lightest, lightest shade. Or if you're a white woman of, you know, European background, you may also be our lightest, lightest shade. So, you know, really the spectrum speaks to everyone and all women. Yes. Is 12 shades, will this suffice? Do you plan to kind of expand expand that range or are you finding I mean, I don't know what the road was to these 12 shades. Was there a lot of research uh, and it involved to get there? Yeah, there there was a lot of work and a lot of uh, a science project in my kitchen uh, when I first started the brand. I mean, I already had experience dyeing my shade, so I knew how to do that. And I did a lot of testing of my own. But I also worked with, at the time when I launched, I was a Nick City dancer. And so there was a pretty diverse group of us. There you know, are a certain amount of you know, white women, blonde, brunette, et cetera, a certain amount of black girls, a certain amount of kind of the mixture of Latina or, you know, other races on the team. So there were about 18 to 20 of us on the team. Uh, What was really cool is that we all were sponsored by a makeup brand and that makeup brand, you know, I just kind of did a survey on like, what are all of the shades that these dancers are wearing? And then kind of narrowed down the shades from there. So actually, originally, when I launched Nude Bar, I started with a bigger group of colors. Um, we had 16 at one point, And then I kind of looked at the data and narrowed it down to the 12 that we have now. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's so interesting. I want to ask... I colorism even in the dance industry like outside of fashion I I just know being a dancer in high school there was always it was on like the checklist of things to like bring to the competition and it always said beige sheer to waist pantyhose like it just said beige for everyone mm-hmm. like we yeah. weren't an all-white team but like what did did you take it upon yourself to match your skin did they say did they just say fine skin matching shade anyway what what was the conversation there yeah, so it, it really depended on the setting. Um, so there were some environments where it would just say nude or flesh tone, you know, which it's like, well, what is available in stores? It's only tan or beige. So some people end up just suffering through wearing that. Um, but however, what the biggest memory that I have that is like a little traumatic is that I got into this program um, in the DC area where I grew up at the Kennedy Center. It was in partnership with the Dance Center of Harlem. Uh, I was like 15, 16 years old at the time. And so this program asked for flesh tone. You know, you saw it on the list and, you know, your leotard, your tights, et cetera. Uh, So I show up in the tan beige tights that were available in my store uh, that were too light for me, as well as pink ballet shoes, because that was all that was available in the store. I was really excited to be a part of this program. They selected 10 boys and 10 girls of the DC, Maryland, Virginia metro area to be a part of it. So it was highly competitive. Um, So I was one of the new girls in the group. When I got to class at the Kennedy Center, I was asked to sit out of class because I was not in uniform because my flesh tone didn't match my skin. And so I was extremely embarrassed. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a teenage girl and, you know, I'm the new girl of the class. Everyone else is in, you know, 
their skin tone. I'm like, where did they find this stuff? You know, I couldn't find it. I went to several dance stores and couldn't find anything close to what they have. So after class, I asked the teacher, I said, I don't know what else I could have done to be in uniform. I, you know, searched many stores. This is the best I could find. And she explained to me, dyeing my tights, pancaking my shoes, that process. And that would be the regimen. If I want to be a professional dancer, this is the regimen that I would have to um, take on moving forward. And so this became a part of what I did every week to be in uniform for all of my jobs moving forward. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> to make tights and be an amazing dancer. Like it's so exactly. bizarre. Um, you mentioned uh, the ballet shoes. I mean, is that something that's on your radar? Is somebody doing that now, uh, making a diverse range of shades for shoes? So there are a couple of like literally two small brands that are doing that now, you know, early stage companies. Uh, there was a petition out about a year ago for the bigger brands like Capizio and, and Danskin, et cetera, to make more point shoes and ballet shoes and different skin tones. I think like hundreds of thousands of people signed this, of dancers signed it. Um, so there's been a big push for this from consumers. Um, there's there's a high interest level. Um, it is something that we're interested in pursuing, but our focus is really around the body wear and intimates category because there's so many things to make there um, that are universal for all humans, all women, right? That are foundational garments that we need. So that's really what I'm passionate about in terms of solving that problem from, you know, bras to uh, body suits, to shapewear, to the various hosiery styles and all the other things that we carry now. Tell me about the sales channels you're focusing on. Are you direct to consumer? I would think you mentioned some of the dance retailers, uh, that that would be an amazing fit. Um, but yeah, where are you selling? Yeah, we're mostly direct to consumer, uh, which we really love because we get to control the narrative of how we want to talk to our customer. We get to have those intimate and deeper conversations around, um, you know, standing up against colorism and fighting against it in, in this category and in this industry. Um, you know, I find that when we do go into other retailers, they're not as open to carrying all of our shades and truly representing um, the woman or the human that we're going after. We are in some retail stores. We do sell in some dance stores. We do sell into um, some fashion and some lingerie stores. So we're kind of in all of those areas. And then we also sell to like celebrities and we work with a lot of stylists as well to make sure that people have the costume essentials that they need. How are they finding you? Are you, is it a lot of um, investing into like a Google search? Yeah. So we, we do spend some money on, you know, to we pay to play. Uh, but, you know, a lot of our customers are finding us word of mouth. So we literally, you know, have people that are just like, wow, I've been looking for this for so long or my entire life. And a lot of people write this on even our ads, like, oh my gosh, I've been looking for this for 20 years. Why doesn't this exist sooner? Um, and then they tell someone else and they tell someone else because they're so delighted by what we offer. I mean, even our like refund rate is extremely low um, because people are just so happy to find what we offer. Nice. Tell me about the process of getting the brand off the ground. I know it was you were bootstrapped the first 10 years. Um, what was the yeah, how did you even go about it? Were you <laughs> making a million tides? What was going on? 
Yeah. So I bootstrap nude bar with $3,000 of my dancer savings. Um, I'm more specifically, I took, you know, residual checks that I had gotten from a American airlines commercial that I did. And I just, you know, saved that up for a while and invested into the company myself. So I started with $3,000. And then what I would do is I would teach bar fitness classes in the evenings. I would do about 20 classes a week. Um, And then I would use that money to just support the business in any way. And of course, obviously pay some of my personal bills. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely like physical labor (laughs) as well. Um, But, you know, for the most part, we were manufacturing, we worked with a manufacturer that, you know, worked with us on minimums and things of that nature. And, you know, ultimately, um, you know, one of our challenges was when we would sell out of inventory, we'd have to scrape up enough money to fulfill that skew or that, you know, color palette um, to meet the minimums for our manufacturers. So um, the early days were very tough of like trying to figure out that that math problem of projecting, okay, when are we going to run out? Are we going to have enough money? There isn't like a big investor, you know, putting money behind us. So yeah. Yeah. When you were going to school, was it to be a professional dancer? Do you have this business background or was it a little bit kind of trial and error? You know, trial and error. I have a BFA in ballet um, and then I minored in business management. So I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was also, you know, that kid that was like, you know, had the lemonade stand or I used to make bracelets and sell them. You know, I was always, you know, that kid that had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, But in my mind in college, I thought, oh, I'll you know, start a dance school or I'll start a a fitness business or, you know, something that I was kind of already very familiar with. I did not have any experience manufacturing anything um, or even I didn't even know where to find a manufacturer. Where do you start? So it turns out, though, when I was teaching bar fitness classes, um, one of the other teachers used to manufacture the grippy socks that you wear in those types of classes. And Socks and hosiery are the same manufacturing machines, like the the manufacturers have those same machines. So I talked to her, you know, picked her brain. She pointed me in the right direction. And that, you know, really got me started um, into starting the business. Okay, great. You linked with a manufacturer. What were some other kind of first steps? Were you doing everything yourself out of the gate? Who were some of your first hires? Yeah, absolutely. Did all the things by myself, carrying tons of, like, you know, pallets being delivered to my apartment, carrying them up like a third floor walk up, all those things by myself. Um, And, you know, one of my first hires was just like an intern just to do all things with me, help me carry those boxes, help me drop off stuff to USPS, UPS, et cetera. Um, My early customers were other dancers that I knew. So I had a friend that was Nala in Lion King for many years. And then she helped me get the tights on the Lion King dancers. Um, I had a friend that was in another show. And, you know, I would just tell any and everyone, I literally, when I would go to casting and audition would carry a bunch of tights and just, you know, swatches and be telling people about what I'm doing. So I was like auditioning and like selling stuff on the side at the same time. Um, So literally just tight by tight. And then uh, my mom convinced me to ship a package to the lovely Wendy Williams, the talk show host. And my mom was like, yeah, I noticed that she's always wearing Wolford fishnets on her show every day. You should send her your fishnets. I'm like, there's no way this woman's going to like wear my product. So I send a package of a few options. I get a call about a week later and her wardrobe stylist was like, 
Wendy loves your tights. She wants to buy some after the show. And kind of basically she bought out my stock that I had uh, in that particular color. And what's awesome about her is, you know, at the time, this was around 2012. um, And this was before influencers was such a big thing. Um, But she was like our first influencer, basically. But she would post on social every day what she's wearing, tagging all the brands. She would, she posts, and she still does this, posts on her website, linking each product that she wore on the show. So we get all this referral traffic from her. Um, other celebrities started seeing that she was wearing the products. So Tyra Banks stylist reached out. Laverne Cox became a customer and, and many more. But yeah, that's kind of how we got our first customers. That's awesome. So what did that teach you about, I guess, the power of the influencer? Did that like drive you to lean more into these uh, creators, influential folks? Totally. Yeah. You know, working with content creators and influencers is that's a really big part of our business. Um, One, you know, storytelling is a really part of how we get to our customer, you know, telling not just my story, but other women's stories that are similar to mine that had other embarrassing moments related to, you know, not being in the proper nude or how that has affected them and how, you know, they feel that the beauty standards of the world you know, has affected their um, emotional state or their, you know, how they show up in the world. And so influencers are really important for us. Um, One, also just being able to show the diversity and the range that we offer, not just in skin tone, but in size, because we go from children's size to adult plus size. So for our underwear, up to about a size 20. For our tights, we fit up to about 350 pounds. Oh, great. What's the uh, the children's business compared to adults? Is that uh, even, Stephen, or one larger than the other? Uh, the adults are definitely larger. We, we offer way more products in that category. So the underwear and all of that for our children, we offer children's tights. That tends to be, you know, your, your child dancer, your recital crew, your dance team gals, you know, that kind of thing. Totally. So you started with hosiery, the tights. What what was the, I guess, trajectory? What was the uh, product category expansion? Was that, uh, I guess, more recent? Our seamless thong we launched in 2014, but our other underwear, like our bikini panty, um, our bralette, we launched in September of 2020. So in the middle of a pandemic, um, you know, we started noticing that our customers at home and she wants comfortable underwear. So we wanted to give her other options other than just our seamless thong. Um, So our bikini panty became really popular. And then later uh, we launched a girl short. So boy short, but we named it girl short, um, you know, really to go with our theme of empowering women, right? So um, the girl short is also, it's one of my personal favorites right now. It's so, so comfortable. It's made from the same material as the thong and the bikini panty. Um, And then, yeah, then we have the bralette. We also launched face masks with the uh, pandemic as well. Nice. Nice. What, how, what was the process of launching something mid pandemic? Was it different than, than you would have with, again, the thong? Yeah, it, it definitely was different. I mean, we we went through our similar channels of influencers and, you know, doing an influencer campaign. Um, I think that this window of time in the pandemic has been great for influencers because they have the time to create lots of content. Um, and then, you know, we were able, now that we have been VC backed, we were able to put more funding behind, you know, paid advertisement, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and things of that nature, uh, which we were not able to do back when we launched our seamless thong. The, the thong was just, if you see it on the site, great word of mouth, you know, any, any other organic ways that we can get people to find it. 
Yes. What were some challenges during the pandemic? Um, I would think, would you consider it maybe a, a forced, maybe temporary pivot? Maybe people weren't buying uh, tights like or hose or hosiery like they, they once were. Uh, yeah. What challenges did you face? Yeah. So in the beginning, um, I think there was definitely this fear of, oh, we're not going anywhere. Why buy stuff like hosiery? Um, but one amazing thing that happened about a year ago was um, Blackout Tuesday happened in light of Black Lives Matter. Amazing for our business, not amazing for why we got there. Um, but what ended up happening are so many influencers, like big ones that have millions of followers or 1 million followers that we we could never afford to work with um, started tagging us and mentioning us, you know, as a brand to support. And so our revenue increased so much from that boost of just people posting about our brand and talking about it. Uh, and then even if there were, wasn't a product that you know, they wanted to buy at the time, uh, or that was in stock, they would buy a gift card or, you know, find other ways to support us, which allowed and helped us to get that next, you know, batch of inventory that we needed. Uh, But one thing that we have seen that has been really exciting for us is that we're able to get new people to discover our brand. And so they would buy the tights anyway, because they wanted to experience it. They believed in what we're doing. They believe in our product. And they're like, well, the pandemic is going to end at some point. And eventually I'll be wearing my tights out there. So let me just try these out now and get these now and tell all my other friends and family about them. So we did see like a tiny dip in the very beginning. And then it, you know, started going back up and we've been growing since. That's great. When did Serena Williams come into the mix? (laughs) There is a Serena Williams link here. Yeah. So Serena Williams, uh, she became a customer in 2018, uh, which was just crazy. Uh, First, it was pretty anonymous. Um, You know, we didn't know that this person was ordering on our website. And then um, we started getting into a few conversations around stock and inventory and things of that nature and overnighting things to where she was playing. So at one point she was playing in Wimbledon in our tights and we had to overnight them to to the UK for her. So uh, that was just a crazy and exciting time. But towards the end of the tennis season, uh, we were asked about, we sold out of her SKU, we were asked about it. And I just mentioned, hey, you know, I've, I've been bootstrapping this company for a long time. Um, I've, I'm wanting to scale this business up and I need some funding. Uh, would Serena be interested in investing. And so at this time, this was before she actually announced that she was an investor, Um, but she had been for a while in other companies, but she hadn't formally announced it. And so that led into that she was having a partnership with Whitney Wolf Heard from Bumble, the dating app. Um, So Whitney, um, the Bumble team and Serena Ventures were coming together to do a pitch competition for female founders of color. So they said, oh, well, you should apply for that. So I applied and I ended up being one of the finalists and um, and getting funding from both Bumble and uh, Serena Ventures. Right on. That's amazing. Prior to that, were you seeking funding? Was Were you going through the hellish process that I hear about time and time again? <laughs> what was your experience there? Yeah, I I was pitching uh, a lot. I mean, one of the biggest challenges is that my team was so small. It was just me full time plus like two other part timers. Um, So pitching was even harder for me because I'm running a business at the same time and trying to pitch. And when you're fundraising, you kind of 
have to step back from the business as as the founder and CEO so that you can be out there like hitting the ground running with your pitches. So uh, for me, it just took a lot longer. You know, I was only able to do like one or two pitches a week versus two a day uh, kind of a thing. And, and ultimately, I was just getting a lot of people that didn't understand the problem that I was solving. They It didn't resonate with them. They didn't quite understand um, the impact and the importance of changing this narrative of beige being the standard of beauty and why that matters. Um, but ultimately, you know, when you look at a lot of other articles that have been written on this topic and the statistics many of the investors are white men, right? So they don't, they've, they've never heard of this concept. They have no idea about it. It doesn't really make sense to them. Um, so there was a really big barrier to entry um, to even getting the meetings, to even getting through to like a second meeting and, or even getting a yes. So, you know, the amazing thing about meeting Serena at that time um, and, and her team, we ended up meeting in 2019, but her being having a customer in 2018 is that she already bought the product. She understood it. She, she was the customer. She had the same problem and it, she loved it. She loved the brand and she actually found us organically on social media. Um, So that's really cool. Um, And then she was able to share her experience with Whitney and, and getting her to understand the impact. Um, And so having like those two women, like badass you know, females on my cap table and just believing in the business has been huge and tremendous and also helped get other investors to believe in what we were doing and to validate the business as well. Yes. Is Serena, is she pretty hands-off? Does she, are you in touch with her and getting advice on the daily or not input, I would say? <laughs> so I'm, we mostly work with her team, which is Serena Ventures. There's two people on the team. I mostly work with them. Um, you know, they're as hands-on as you want them to be. So, you know, I, I do send all of my investors monthly updates. And so from there, I'm able to get feedback. I ask questions. You know, I'm, I'm very proactive uh, with the people that are involved or partnering up with me so that, you know, we can grow this thing. Yes. So then, um, I guess the last year, new attention by brands, new pressure on brands to factor in inclusivity and diversity in their product development, in their marketing across the board. First of all, would you say that, you know, going into a fundraising pitch, it would be a different experience? And uh, what has this meant for your business overall? I would say it has helped a little bit. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that it's like, full stop, like the tables have turned and everything is super easy now. Uh, But it it definitely has helped. I think that, you know, I've been able to have conversations with people that wouldn't have been as open to meeting with me and learning about the business or even taking this business as serious as they do. Um, And yeah, so it's definitely been helpful. Yeah. What, What work, I guess, is there still to do, would you say? You know, I think ultimately there needs to be more people of color and women in in that space um, to help, you know, bring more diversity into investing or, you know, all of these categories. I think there's still a long ways to go when you look at, well, how many women, you know, investors there are compared to white men. Um, it's a very, it's a big difference. Uh, and then even if you look at people of color in in the category as well. It's like, it's, it's a big difference. Yeah. Yes. 
Are retailers, I guess, first of all, I don't know, you may want to keep things direct, maintain that control, maintain that community. Um, just I hear it in terms of size inclusivity that, you know, again, that's such a, a boundary for brands like they don't maybe want to link with a retailer that won't buy their full size range. Um but again, retailers, they're being um, there's pressure to take the 15% pledge, even if this is something that they never paid attention to before. Anyway, what's been <laughs> um, more attention, I guess, from retailers now? And what's been your take to that? Yeah, uh, we're definitely getting a lot more attention from those big box retailers. And so we're, you know, taking on some of those conversations. So we'll announce at some point what's happening in the future. Um, oh, so that's that's exciting um, and interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to to your point of inclusivity and sizing, um, we do get a lot of pushback on like, well, we don't need all the sizes and, you know, we have to kind of re-explain the point of our brand and why we do what we do. So not just inclusive in skin tone, but inclusive in sizing and, and really, you know, allowing women to be celebrated and seen. Um, and that if you're excluding certain pieces of the equation, that you're not doing that. You know, so we we do a lot of pushback and we're really looking for the right partners at this stage to make sure that that is shown if we are going to go into um, some of these retailers that have done the 15 percent pledge. What's been working in terms of selling through your first of all, is your website where it's at? Do you have aspirations for physical retail? And um, yeah, let's just talk about that first. Yeah. So I've always envisioned my original idea of nude bar was that it was going to be a nude bar where um, I would be, the, I'm this mixologist. That's like my origin story of dyeing my tights. And so, you know, you would come to this place and you can get a, you know, shade or you can get a cocktail request in your shade. Um, so I always wanted to have this like experience with the brand in person at some point. Um, you know, I think right now it's hard to say with the world we're living in and um, who would have thought we'd be in a pandemic and, you know, life would be the way that it is. Um, so, you know, I think right now it's, it's hard to say if we will eventually have our own standalone retail locations, but we definitely want to do a lot more in real life, in-person events, um, you know, once it's safe enough to do that so that people can have those experiences that I originally dreamed up in my head um, years ago. Yes. As competition online is heating up, um, just in terms of the shopping experience, I know you have a great like color matching quiz online. Is that newer? Um, has that given you some really rich data about your customer? What what has what that uh, given you, I guess? Yeah, so we're we're very data driven, and it has given us some rich data. Um, this is our second iteration of our color matching quiz. So uh, the first iteration, we learned a lot from our customers as far as what they're uh, willing to do to get their shade match. Um, is it too hard? Is it too easy? Is it too confusing? And so this version is a lot more simple. Um, and then you know we're just learning a lot from the customers in terms of that that journey and that experience as we're growing and we're acquiring new customers and various channels, uh, we, you know, we get different types of cu customer sets. So yeah, it, it is, this version is a newer version um, and it's a three-step quiz. It's super easy. And so customers seem to like that. And right now it's about a third of our revenue. So it's very important for us, um, people that are using the quiz um, in, in terms of getting customers to actually convert and purchase. Yes. Oh, I took the quiz before this 
<laughs> this awesome. interview. I thought it was, yes, again, easy to use and quick. And I also love on your site your the fact that Oh, gosh, you call them nudies, I believe, your brand ambassadors. Yeah. Um, that really, it's kind of like, are you match your shade to this person, which I think is even more kind of uh, spells it out in terms of what you need. Uh, how is pulling that together? <laughs> yeah, so that's definitely a constant moving puzzle piece because we do work with influencers very regularly. So, uh, you know, we're wanting to update that page quite frequently to make sure that people can see all the options and different variations of, you know, what a color could look like on various skin tones. Um, and, you know, even in our brand, we have what we like to call sister shade. So a lot of times in the summer, you might be more tan versus the winter, you might be less tan. So a lot of our customers actually wear two to three different shades throughout the year, depending on the season. So, you know, looking at the brand ambassadors or the nudies, um, looking, you being able to utilize the color matching quiz are all really, really helpful tools, as well as our Instagram page where we do post a lot of different people, whether it's, you know, user generated content or customers that have, you know, tagged us. Um, it's definitely helpful to see like, oh, this is a shade that could work for me in the summer versus the winter. I might need both of these shades. Yes, that education component. Uh, do you need to, I guess, invest more in customer service? Do you need to kind of spell out just what you were saying? You may need two shades, this this for different seasons. Or um, yeah, maybe you may, you do need to show all the shades side by side in store to communicate what you're going for here. Um, yeah, what do you need to what do you need to be saying? Yeah, so we definitely have to like tell the customer, we have to be explicit with the customer and just, and usually once we say that to them, they're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Just like my makeup foundation. I might have a summer makeup foundation. We're like, exactly. It's just like your makeup foundation. Our, our body wear is like foundation for your body essentially. So whether it's the tights, the bras, the underwear. Um, and so they, they instantly get it once we explain it that way. And so a lot of times we'll also encourage customers to actually get two or three shades on their first purchase to kind of see and compare. And even, you know, parts of your body may be different shades, like your arm may be darker than your leg. If you're driving, you know, if you're a person that's in a car, you may get a lot of sun exposed on your forearm. So that may be a darker part of your body and you may need to match the products to, you know, another area, depending on how well you want it to match versus, you know, you want it to be close enough. Yes. Does growth for the company mean more categories? Yeah. So growth for the company definitely means more categories. You know, I really see this as a big business. Um, you know, it's it's a billion dollar industry uh, in the intimates, lingerie and hosiery space. So um, we think there's a lot of space to play here in terms of other garments that are foundational, slips, bodysuits, shapewear. We're getting tons of requests for bodysuits. So we're really excited to experiment with that a little bit. So definitely expanding into other categories. Yes. As more brands pop up trying to do your thing, what does that mean for you? You know, I think in the beginning, honestly, it used to stress me out and uh, hurt my feelings a little bit. But ultimately, it's actually been quite helpful for our brand because one, you know, people do understand that we, you know, we're super early in this category. We're, you know, the first, basically. And then two, you know, I think it's also helpful with just 
education on this topic. Um, you know, in, in the early days when Wendy was our early customer, she was like our third customer, uh, we would get people that would call our 1-800 number and say, hey, you know, I saw Wendy in, in your fishnets and I'm calling to get the nude shade. And I'd be like, okay, well, we have... The, you know, 12 of them, you know, tell me more about your skin. And it it like, it didn't click for people originally that nude could be personal. Nude could be individual. Nude is not just one shade. It's not a singular shade. And so we had to do a lot of educating people in the very beginning and other brands in the space talking about the same thing helps with that education. So it actually helps our customers convert a lot faster because they get it now. It makes sense to them now. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So this year, if you had to spell out specific goals, uh, what are you hoping to achieve by, gosh, December 31st here? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, December 31st, I would love to have solidified our um, new retail partners that, you know, we're talking to many of them. Um, So I'm really excited to really lock that in and, you know, solidify who those partners are. Uh, We do want to expand into a new product um, by December 31st. So, you know, really excited to get that done and manufacture it. Uh, We are currently fundraising so that we can scale even more and grow even more. So definitely closing out fundraising before the end of the year, for sure. Exciting times. Erin, this was so fun. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. And thanks for all the awesome questions. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.